0: With the new year coming up quick, we wanted to highlight some of our best episodes to round out 2023. This week, we'll be revisiting our conversation about the release of the second edition of Wade's Retirement Planning Guidebook and how to set up the foundations of your retirement plan.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my trusted companion, Wade Pfau. How are you doing today, Wade? I'm
2: doing good, Alex. How are you?
1: I'm doing good as well, man. It's been uh, a long day, though. <laughs> today's an interest. Yeah, it's been a long day, uh, but uh, we get the energy. And just so you know, we've been doing some workshops with advisors, and yesterday and today we had two workshops each, so four altogether, ninety-minute workshops on, you know, the RISA and retirement income planning and stuff. And it's been great. It's great to sort of for us to really. It's one thing to write about topics and and things along those lines. It's another thing to, you know, really get boots on the ground and just talk about stories and and helping folks do it. Wouldn't you say what? It was, I I found it, you know, fascinating. Oh,
2: absolutely. It's always great to hear the boots on the ground of what's going on with people. And it's mainly users for the, the RISA and just questions they had, concerns they had, ideas they have, and just interacting with each other as well about how are they using it in their practices and so forth. So It's great, great opportunity. Yeah,
1: I mean, what? Yeah, and for us, I mean, what? What I found fascinating is, you know, this was an idea, right? And in, in any research, it's just you start pulling on a thread and you see how how far you can pull it. And uh, we mentioned even in the in the in the workshops, that it's it's become a kind of a spool, if you will. And it's just amazing how you know, Wade and I had this idea, and it's just grown and grown and grown. It's like you know, in in the where the wild things are. <laughs> that night, Max forest. That night in Max's room, a forest grew, or something like that uh and and here we are but that's not the topic of today wade today is wade's day Uh, (laughs) wade uh we 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 sort of we were really good marketers we would have done a better job about this but we've been on this investing arc and then uh we realized like two weeks ago wade releases the second edition of of his book and we were like Man, we didn't do any <laughs> any like pre work for it. We kind of it kind of kind of was silent in the night as we got caught up in this retirement arc. So we said, "Hang on a second, we're gonna talk about the the retirement planning guidebook here, uh, especially since it's the second edition come out." And yeah. it's it's nice. I, I would say, wait, I think it's fair for me to say it's been uh, more than what you would have imagined when you release the first edition.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, just to that point, I I have a whole list, a to-do list for whenever a new book edition comes out and all that. And one of the items on there is make the rounds of retirement planning podcasts. But I didn't even think about, I think when I first prepared the list, I didn't have my own podcast yet. So I didn't even think to put my own podcast on the list. But but there you are. But yeah, absolutely. Well, Well, the first edition came out in September, 2021. And, I've been very happy with how it did and it kind of makes me really emphasize and focus on the need to have frequent editions coming out to make sure it stays up to date and not just with the new year of data, but with changes that are ongoing all the time. And with secure act 2.0 is one example of, there's a lot that's happened not just legislation wise, but there's a lot that's happened in the retirement planning world since September, 2021. So it's time for a new edition.
1: So wait, uh, I just want to make this as clear as as I can here. So your decision not to talk about the book on this podcast wasn't because you didn't want to be on this podcast. It was because it was an oversight.
2: (laughs) It was an oversight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For for the record. No, 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 I I think this is great. I I, I think, listen, uh, Wade has a a series, uh, sort of the, the retirement researchers guide series, if you will. And this this was the fourth book, which was the book that was additive to everything previously. And should I should probably wait. At it, some
2: point, I don't think we've done that yet. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. The retirement planning guidebook. The retirement planning guidebook. Edición dos. <laughs> <laughs> Segunda edición. No, 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 no. The retirement planning guidebook. And wait, where does where does this fit in before we get into the book? Because you you know, this is more than just a book. This is sort of a, a way of thinking. And so you had all these other books that kind of led up to this. But where is your thinking around where you want to take this series, uh, you know, before we get into the book, and and, and just how people should be looking at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in and,
2: and that regard. So the Retirement Planning guide book was always the book I was trying to write. And as I was writing it, some of the chapters got so long that they could be spun off as their own independent books. So the first one was just simply about reverse mortgages. I was writing a chapter about housing and retirement. And it got to be a book-length chapter. So <laughs> the book number one in the series ended up being that the book about reverse mortgages. The next book in the series was about the investing-based approaches to like sustainable spending from investments in retirement. Again, that was a chapter of the Retirement Planning Guidebook that got so long that it served as its own book. The, and that was how much could I spend in retirement. The third book was Safety First Retirement Planning. And that was the book that focused more on how different types of annuities work and how to think about risk pooling and annuities and insurance as part of a retirement planning strategy. And that was, again, a chapter that became a full book. And then the Retirement Planning Guidebook finally came to fruition in September 2021, approximately 10 years after I started trying to write it. (laughs) And uh, each of those past books is summarized in a chapter. But the Retirement Planning Guidebook is really my effort to try to address all the relevant topics for retirement income. And the new edition is 26 pages longer. It's now a 500-page book. So it hit that <laughs> it's exactly 500 exactly 500 pages. So it's it's longer and it's new and improved. And at this point, so the the reverse mortgages book surpri- sells surprisingly well considering Oh, it's such a niche thing, right? It is a niche. So it has a
1: a place, right? (laughs) Yeah,
2: it is a niche, but there's only fifty to 60,000 new reverse mortgages in the country each year. And if you just go by the book sales, a significant number of people getting a reverse mortgage must be getting a copy. So I I will have annual updates for that one. But at, at this stage, it really becomes too much to try to continually update four different books. So what I'm doing at this point is taking more of the content from... How much can I spend in retirement? And safety first retirement planning, and folding that into the retirement planning guidebook. And so, on an ongoing basis, I anticipate regular updates for the retirement planning guidebook, as well as the reverse mortgages book. But the uh, other two books, I don't anticipate updating too frequently, if at all, uh, in the so, future.
1: <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little pitch for you. So, you know, uh, so if you want the. Spending in Retirement Book and the Safety First Book, get it, get it now. Uh, they won't be updated, but they'll all be on Amazon. But it'd be good to you know get it, and you can say I bought it when. Uh, the the other piece that I'd like to address is so this book was five hundred were five hundred pages, so now it's obvious why our podcast can't be twenty minutes, <laughs> one and done, in and out. We just we just don't have that that capacity.
2: No, right? no. <laughs>
1: and with some of our experiences thus far,
2: now that we've been doing the podcast for about a year, topics from the book that maybe were a couple pages long that we thought we might be able to cover in an episode or two, we end up taking three or four episodes to get through it. So it <laughs> seems like we add a lot yeah. more verbiage to uh, the conversation with, well, uh, with the podcast.
1: It is what it is. <laughs> but uh, so in the retirement planning guidebook, how would you describe that for folks that don't even know this was a second edition, that it's just this is a first edition? I, You know, and, and I'll preface it by saying, personally, I think this will be the default textbook for advisors. I think this will be on every advisor's shelf. Uh, whether they read it from page one to page 500, I don't think so. I, I think it's it, – they may skim it the first time and then they have it as a resource book mm-hmm. because I think every chapter in and of itself is a, is a, is a lesson. And so to me, I, I think it's that kind of book, but it will be, I, I think, the de facto bookshelf on every advisor shelf. And I think it will be a de facto book on every consumer shelf, you know, when they get into that retirement planning stage, simply because it's just, it's, it level sets everything, you know, in a major way. And it gets into the details of everything. So I, I can easily, in much the same way that Machiel, random walk down Wall Street, has become the sort of passive investors sort of tome. I I, th- I think to some extent, to a large extent, the retirement planning guidebook is well on its way, if it's not already there, to doing that in, in this field, which is nascent. So uh, I, I that's how I see it. It's a must have. And I'm not saying that because, you know, we want to pitch the books. I mean, that's the reality of it. it. It just is what it is with regards to how this book is viewed, at, at least from my perspective and from other advisors that that we've been talking to and consumers. But that's that's the general impact, you know, that I view that this book has. How do you sort of look at it? What's it about if you're telling somebody about the book for the first time? How would you explain it?
2: Well, well, thanks for that, Alex. And, yeah, that's my hope as well is that there's not a lot of competition in that space of being sometimes. <laughs> so when you look at the reviews on Amazon, mm-hmm. most of them are good, <laughs> but some are negative, and some are more because they didn't like something about Amazon, and they one of the most recent reviews was – It was one star, but they said the one star is for Amazon. The five star, the book is actually five stars, but that's not how things get get processed. But anyway, uh, sometimes uh, when someone does give it a lower rating, they say it's like a textbook. And I don't think it reads exactly like a textbook, but partly that is the intention that it it really is meant to be comprehensive and to provide. It's not just fluff material. It's here's what you need to know and we're not going to pull any punches on that. And also, unlike some of the books written by financial advisors that are really just commercials for the firm to say, no, this is complicated, here's the basic idea, but you better hire me to, to do it for you. The Retirement Planning Guidebook really is an effort to say, no, you can if you want, you can do this on your own, and here's what you need to know. And, and, and so in that regard, it's not for beginners. It's for people who have some basic financial literacy already, Sophisticated types of consumers and/or well, financial professionals as well, who can benefit most from the book. And yeah, in that regard, I hope it can serve as like a textbook for retirement income planning.
1: No, and that's a, that's an interesting thought. You mentioned this, and look, I've known Wade now for for many like over over ten years, and I've worked with him. And it's it it comes up every so often. And Wade is who he is. He writes the way he writes. And uh, to me, I, I think he wears that, and like rightly so, as a, as a badge of honor. Not necessarily. Oh, by the way, there there is no fluff. It, it, it you know, you want the information. This is the information. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what else do you want me to do? You know, and 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 by this, by the same token, he's not that type of financial professional that's written the same book eight different times. You know that we, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kowtow to something like that. It, it's look, this is. The best that he could do. I, I absolutely know that, and this is the manifestation of that. And, uh, and and that's and you take it or leave it, you know, kind of thing. But I, I do think this this is the tome for anyone that needs to get a, a basic understanding and then some on retirement income planning.
0: Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals.
2: Well, thanks. So I suppose what we can do then is just highlight maybe just an overview of what what we cover in the book. And then yeah, I talking so. more about like what's new in the second edition for listeners who may have the first edition, and if you do have the first edition, it's not absolutely necessary to run out and buy the second edition. Uh, certainly, if you're a completist, you'll want to do so because there is a lot of new material. But the first edition still works. <laughs> you don't necessarily need wait, to- <laughs> man. We, we gotta,
1: we gotta push some. Uh, <laughs> no, but look, this gives you this gives you a sense of how wait, right? Uh, he didn't need to say that, but you know. It, it it's, it's how he is, right? So, uh, so take it away, man. Well, what is what's the book about? Well, how does it begin? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it it all begins with the RISA. That because I really do think that, like, when you're first thinking about retirement, so chapter one is what's your retirement style, and we explain the RISA. And I, I suppose at this point, everyone listening to the podcast probably has taken the RISA, but if you haven't, page fifteen of the retirement planning guidebook provides a link. So, you can take the RISA, no charge, get your report, and have that as a starting point for then how, as you were saying, you don't necessarily need to read the book from cover to cover. You might jump around to the relevant sections as they become relevant in your life. But if you have your RISA style, you might get a sense of do I want to emphasize more on the investments material, or do I want to emphasize more the annuity material in the book, or do I want to still look at both and so forth? But we, cover the idea of retirement income styles in chapter one. Chapter two is then just explaining all the different risks related to retirement, between longevity, market volatility, different types of spending shocks, and so forth.
1: Chapter three. uh, Now, why, why, wait, before you, I want to, because what the book does is it's not just, they're not randomly just set up like that, right? You're kind of taking them through a journey. Of how they should be thinking about the retirement income puzzle for themselves, and so yes, you know, chapter one is retirement income style because you need to kind of decide what strategy may resonate with you first. I'm kind of setting it up. There's a reason you particularly put the second one on retirement risk there, and and I think as as we're going through it, sure, we can always just detail. Okay, this is chapter one, this is chapter two, this is chapter three, but I think the thinking behind it will help the person who buys the book understand why it's organized in in this manner as well. Mm -hmm. Just my my, my thought. So what was your thinking having retirement risk as the second chapter? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, that becomes relevant then for chapter three, because when you start to think about building a basic financial plan, and chapter three is about building a funded ratio, to be able to do that, you need to address the retirement risks. And that's manifested through... What sort of planning age do you want to assume to help manage that longevity risk? What sort of discount rate or rate of return do you want to assume to help manage the market risk? And the idea is a low number, such as bond yields provide. And then also, what do you want to have set aside as reserves to manage different types of spending shocks, whether it's long-term care, helping adult family members, uh, uh, fraud, different things? Uh, what do you want to have set aside to help manage that? And so to be able to put numbers around that, you really need to have that background discussion about different types of retirement risks. So that, that's the reason why Chapter 2 covers the retirement risks, because it's really an input into Chapter 3, building out a basic budget and then developing your funded ratio. What are all the assets you have for retirement? What are all the liabilities you need to be able to fund, including those contingencies Those possible expenses that are related to different retirement risks. That's the the sure. And
1: for people, no, I get it. And for people that are listening in, a funded ratio is just like a balance sheet driven financial plan where you take assets, your your present value of your assets divided by the present value of your liabilities, and you know because you have a numerator denominator, uh, if your assets are $110,000 one hundred and ten thousand dollars, and your all the present value of your future liabilities are one hundred thousand dollars. Then your funded ratio is one hundred and ten percent. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you you have your you have more in assets than you have coming out, and so that's a good thing. There's we've had podcasts yeah. devoted to that. You can check it out, yeah, that but case. that's where we get into the, the the funded ratio piece of it. And so then, once someone does their funded ratio, what does that allow them to do? And that you've outlined effectively, I, I think it's a mixture there of a couple of chapters, but especially chapter four, which is your investment and annuity strategies. How does the funded ratio kind of inform the next chapter?
2: Well, the idea is that we want to look at, not only are you funded at an overall level, but by subcategories, do you have enough reliable income to meet your core spending? Do you have enough diversified portfolio to meet your discretionary types of goals and legacy? Do you have enough reserves to meet your, um, contingencies, looking at those separately, and then where now chapter one comes back into play because the retirement income style awareness, if you have an income gap for reliable income, you don't have enough reliable income, things like social security, pensions, if you already have an annuity, for example, if there's not enough reliable income in place to cover your longevity, essential spending in retirement, how do you want to fill that gap? And that's what the the RESA addresses. If your total return, actually, you're not as worried about having a gap there because it's more, do I have enough reliable income plus diversified portfolio to meet my longevity plus lifestyle plus legacy? But if you're one of the other retirement styles, you'll want to take some action if there's an income gap, whether it's more of a bucketed time segmentation approach or whether it's potentially having a lifetime income protection through different types of annuities. And so that's where chapters four and five get into that conversation around. Chapter four is sustainable spending from investments. How much can I sustainably spend from my investment portfolio? Starting with the assumptions that go into the idea of the 4% rule, but then going through those assumption by assumption and talking about how things might change if you modify the assumption. Because the four percent rule is and a wait, whole uh, list of assumptions that may not always be reali- well are not realistic in <laughs> real life.
1: Yeah. And just so you know, we we did a whole arc on distribution <laughs> strategies from a sustainable portfolio. So you you know, feel free to check those out. I, th- I think we did four or five mm-hmm. yep. yeah, episodes yeah, we've had on Iowa. That that, right, right, uh what 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 how has your thinking changed about that? You know, in this chapter, you, I remember you were thinking, "Hey, we're we're going to kind of simplify these things. We don't need to, we don't need to list out the twenty, mm-hmm. the twenty rules, and and have a bake off. It, it's really just these certain characteristics that you need to worry about."
2: Yeah, yeah, this is actually an area where there's been significant updates with the variable spending conversation, because the originally that was I think the longest chapter of the how much can I spend in retirement was about variable spending strategies. And I took, there's so many different people who've offered strategies, and they have some pretty (laughs) complicated uh, aspects to them. And I tried to stay as much as possible with using all of their designed rules about how those strategies are implemented. Then in the first edition of the Retirement Planning Guidebook, I just had a brief overview of the variable spending strategies but now as part of that process of thinking, I'd rather have more content in the Retirement Planning Guidebook and not necessarily update the past books. That's where the, the discussion around variable spending strategies um, got a lot longer in the Retirement Planning Guidebook. But I'm approaching it differently now because it's really when you take all the existing strategies that are out there and what I mean by that, like Jonathan Guyton's decision rules, Michael Kitsey's ratcheting rule the floor and ceiling rule that Bill Bengen offered, uh, RMD rules and so forth and, and so on and so forth, really. There's some basic levers in them that can really simplify the conversation to just identify what are the basic levers we're talking about? How can we package those together in a few different ways? And then here's a few representative type strategies that are easier to think about and implement, but that are really, for the most part, getting at the core ideas behind what the more complicated past strategies that are out there we're trying to do. And so we I look at six different variable spending strategies and actually go through strategy by strategy showing how they perform in simulations. Uh, another difference in the, this new edition is all the case studies are now linked <laughs> to have the same underlying uh, return assumptions and so forth. That was something where in the first edition different parts of the book might have been using different assumptions there's now an underlying set of assumptions used throughout the book and then with those assumptions looking at just how these different variable spending rules perform and, and providing guidance around how people might choose from among them so that is an area that's okay. been updated quite a bit
1: no so that's a, that that reason alone that's reason alone to sort of consider the the, the second edition uh then you, you float into the annuity strategies, right, for the next chapter? And
2: mm-hmm. that's an area we haven't and what really
1: covered on, on
2: the, the podcast yet, but at some point we'll have an arc on yeah. annuities. Uh, I, it's also an area where I added more explanation and descriptions uh, from, well, partly from safety-first retirement planning, but also I dig a lot more into the RILA, the Registered Index-Linked Annuity, which has just risen in popularity in the last few years, and even when safety-first retirement planning came out. RILAs were not really all that much on the, something people were thinking about all that much. So I have a lot more content explaining how structured annuities work, whether it's a fixed index annuity, whether it's a registered index linked annuity. Then I talk about just the returns they can provide, uh, the living benefits that you can use with them, and as well as adding more content explaining how simple income annuities work as well. And really just walking through how to think about annuities and when they're relevant to the conversation for somebody whose style is more income protection or risk wrap, just providing that educational content to better understand how different types of annuities actually work and the role they can play within an overall retirement plan.
1: Hey wait, uh, i'm I'm calling a little bit of an audible before this session, we were like, okay, we'll go over the chapters of the book and then we'll go over the new stuff. <laughs> but I kind of started with your new stuff on the on the chapter, but it just flows. conversation, you know, it's more conversational this way. Uh, one of the new things you're're you're, you're starting to look at and it's in the world of probably a blend of you know the investments and the annuities and uh, you know you give it some thought here in terms of unpacking it. The, the, the use of buffer assets to make dynamic decisions with variable spending strategies. Oh, what, what, what are your thoughts around that? Or am I off there? I was thinking the, et- the buffered ETFs, but bu- by buffered assets, you could mean something different.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Buffer assets are different from the buffer annuities. Yeah, they okay. actually really do different concepts, even though they share.
1: <laughs> no, I was, I, you know what I was thinking? I remember how we just came off those workshops where we were talking about the buffered ETFs?
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And my mind went right to that you know, when I saw the word buffer, but that's not how we do you give that any contemplation in the
2: book? Yeah. So a buffered annuity, that's another name for the RILA, the registered index linked annuity. And that's where unlike any of my past books, there's a lot more content explaining how buffered annuities or registered index linked annuities work. So that's all new in the second edition as well.
1: I we can cut this. I'll make sure because I asked the question, so I'll be sure to cut this because I, I screwed up. I was thinking buffered ETFs. Remember how we were talking about buffered uh-huh. ETFs? Uh, yeah, and
2: that's buffered. And the other uh-huh, one, buffered ETFs. And, uh, you can and, keep. And it. so I,
1: re- I read this. I read this as buffered assets, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, it's buffered ETF no i I can ask this again. You want me to ask you a question on buffer ETFs or not? I'll no, just make we only sure do that this I... as
2: one take don't worry yeah, it works the, the right, thing right.
1: I, what you were talking about All with right. the buffered a- buffer assets not buffered assets <coughs>
2: buffer assets uh is buffer assets a, yeah, a yeah, simple yeah. decision rule about when to draw from them that first showed up in one of the reverse mortgage updated in book editions but is now incorporated into the retirement planning guidebook as well. There's so many different rules about when do I use a buffered asset, a buffer asset? Now you've seen it. When do I use a buffer asset? Or when do I take the inflation adjustment for my spending? Or with a time segmentation strategy, when do I build out or extend my bond ladder? And there's complicated rules for deciding that. But I found that there's a really simple rule that works just as well as any more complicated rule. And that's just record what's the investment balance on the retirement date. You don't even have to worry about adjusting it for inflation, just its nominal number. In the future, if your investments are worth more than that, spend from the investments. If your investments are worth less than that initial balance, uh, use well, that's where you incorporate that strategy, whether it's to spend from the buffer asset, to not uh, extend your bond ladder with a time segmentation strategy, to not take the inflation adjustment with one of the variable spending strategies. So that's the new content related to buffer assets. It's about having a simple decision rule about when to use the buffer asset.
1: But to be clear, yeah, and that's not, this is all one take the hell with (laughs) it. To be clear, there is, this is not about buffer ETFs. That's where I I got thrown off. And
2: the buffered ETF is a non-annuity version of a registered index linked annuity, which is also sometimes called a buffered annuity.
1: Yeah, and there was a big conversation earlier in a workshop on that twice, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, social security, moving on to the next chapter, uh, what do what you tackle in that?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty in-depth look at social security, including just ex- explaining how benefits are calculated, explaining just the different types of benefits and how to think about what, what those are and how to calculate those. And the the whole issue of when you consider that people could claim each month between 62 and and 70, and if you have a couple and when you start incorporating all the other kinds of dependent benefits and everything else, uh, Larry Kolakov had estimated is like some shockingly high number, like trillions of possible (laughs) claiming strategies. And so just Explaining the fundamentals about how benefits are calculated, how to think about different types of benefits, your own worker benefit, spousal benefits, dependent benefits. And then how do you then frame the decision of when do I want to claim the benefits? Are you thinking more as longevity protection or are you thinking in terms of the break-even age? So explaining those differences, making a case for the benefits of delaying Social Security, especially for the high earner in a couple as providing a better retirement outcome through the delay credits that you receive. And then talking about some of the potential objections to delaying social security. And in particular, the thing that really worries people is social security reform. And it's just this week, the, uh, the new 2023 trustees report came out for social security, pushed the date that the trust fund is expected to, deb- to be depleted to one year sooner and people tend to worry that Social Security is going to go away. So explaining how that's not really the case, Social Security will still be around. It the, If, I mean, Congress has some decisions to make about what to do, there could be benefit cuts, but probably at the end of the day, there'll be some sort of compromise package that mainly uh, is not going to cut benefits for current retirees. But even if it did, how that doesn't really indicate that you should claim early because if benefits are cut across the board, eh, claiming early is not going to help you that it it, there's a little bit, the benefits of delay become a little bit weaker, but still they're not overcome. And and so just explaining that whole idea about how social security reform might happen.
1: It's, it's interesting, Wade, the whole social security. And I'm just, I'm still perseverating on your comment about Kalikov saying there's you know, uh, a trillion in yeah. one strategy. I don't remember
2: the exact number, but it was <laughs> shockingly high. <laughs> no, no, I, I know a lot, a lot, a lot,
1: a lot. That's why I was just kiddingly. Uh, but sure, they are in the sense that everyone's a little different. And, you know, if you, if you, you, you could really slice up these, you know, everything's on a spectrum. So you could slice things up into units. And if you do that, obviously it gets into the, the trillions, the, the, the innumerate number of times, but, the reality is you're kind of simplifying you're you're coming at it from the far, slides, far side of complexity in terms of breaking it down into listen there's a couple <laughs> of decisions here that you need to make if you get these decisions right you know you're on your way is that a fair assessment
2: yeah yeah and it's basically the high earner has a much stronger case for delaying towards 70 the low earner in the couple might decide to claim sooner depending on circumstances but that's the, uh, oh, I also forgot to mention the survivor benefits, which adds another overlay. But, but that's ultimately how you can simplify yeah. a lot of the conversation around claiming.
1: But then what, what's interesting to me is you're, we're, we're doing a couple of things here. So what I've heard so far in terms of the book, and it's very similar to how you should attack your retirement income issue. What's your style? What are the risks you want to take off the table? What's the economic reality of those of, of of you being able to implement your preferred style? Let's look at the investments because that serves a purpose for the investments. There's always a role for the investments of some sort, so you're going to have to look at those. Let's look at potentially annuity strategies, especially if you're coming at it from the standpoint of income protection, and uh, you know you're you want to fund from essential expenses, reliable income, etc. You want to fund essential expenses with reliable income, so you go from there. Social Security is effectively another pension, so you want to uh, look at that. The next piece that I see here that fits well into this logic of how you should actually be thinking of of your retirement income, you know, issue in this order is the whole reserves and the whole sort of liquidity and the whole piece of that. And you start to me, you start looking at that with healthcare and, and issues surrounding that, and and so I I think it's kind of a nice little sort of successive approximations. Uh, of looking at this whole challenge. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, everything interrelates, but you have to put some sort of order to work your way through it all. And and so, yes, next on the list is the uh, Medicare. Once you become eligible or otherwise, if you retire before reaching Medicare eligibility, how to think about health insurance uh, in retirement and also health expenses and estimating potential health expenses and estimating contingencies related to health care. But really, a lot of the chapter is just about how Medicare works and the ABCDs of Medicare and understanding what Part A does, what Part B does, how much they cost. Uh, Part C, if you decide to, well, there's a lot of effort spent, I spend on explaining the differences between Medicare Advantage and original Medicare. And then whether, if you go with original Medicare, whether you want a Medicare supplement, which one, what what sort of benefits do each provide, and so on and so forth. And then just how to budget for healthcare expenses and retirement. That's
1: what that chapter. We had a nice podcast on that one, remember? We, we threw one out there on Medicare. Yeah,
2: we did, right? Was, yeah, during the uh, annual, well received, yeah. every year between October 15th and December 7th. Oh, that's part of the chapter, too. <laughs> uh, once you are already uh, using Medicare, the annual updates that you're allowed to make each year. So ongoing decisions related to Medicare, in, including choosing a Part D prescription drug plan as well.
1: And so then from Medicare, we move on to, drum roll?
2: to long-term care. (laughs) Uh, Talking about some of the statistics related to how likely someone is to need help with long-term care events, how much that can potentially cost, what the different funding options are between self-funding, using Medicaid once you've depleted other resources, traditional long-term care insurance and then different types of hybrid long-term care insurance that uh, incorporates either with a life insurance policy or potentially an annuity. As well as trying to budget for how much reserves do I want to have set aside for long-term care?
1: Sure. And then that transitions into... Yeah. The,
2: the next chapter is then about housing in retirement. Uh just first of all, looking at the statistics around, do people tend to move once they get to retirement? And it may be surprising that the answer is the people's moving rates are the lowest, like into their 50s and 60s compared to any other age group. So a lot of people do like to just stay where they are. But if, they, if you are thinking to move, then working through the characteristics of what should you be looking for in a good place to live in retirement. Also helping to set up in advance to support aging in place, like just what sort of home renovations might you do to make it easier to live in your home into the future. And then also the, that the book I have on reverse mortgages, there's a, a 10 page summary of that book as part of this housing chapter
0: <laughs> as well. Are you getting close to, or are you in retirement well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement, and now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com 8tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by going to retirementresearcher slash eight tips. That's the number eight tips.
1: No, very thorough. I mean, uh, look, we're, we're we're checking up all the boxes. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's there's a parallel thing, right? This is these are the things you need to make sure that you have boxes checked off on. But this is how, how the book is organized. And so once we get into past that piece, then it, it, it's well, there's a couple more, but we get into tax planning. Mm-hmm. And tax planning is not something you look at last. I, obviously, it's at it's you know tenth on the you know the, the chapter is further down, but tax planning really is sprinkled in it in, at least in the investments, in the annuities, in the social, You know, it, it's sprinkled throughout. So you mm-hmm. wanna
2: yeah, it's the longest it some
1: sort of unpacking. It's the
2: longest chapter in the book, and right, it is. It's where everything's interconnected. But there are, like, you have to understand Social Security claiming before the tax planning chapter because (laughs) how you claim Social Security uh, impacts what kind of taxes you may have to pay on your benefits and so forth. So the tax planning chapter can't really come before Social Security, but they are all interdependent. But I just walked through how taxes or how the tax system works in the United States, the progressive nature of the tax system taxing ordinary income versus preferential income and then getting into the tax planning conversation around can you start to think strategically about being able to pay less taxes or it's not really about what minimizes your taxes but what gives you the most after-tax spending power <laughs> they can be related but they're they're not the exact same thing but you know paying less taxes getting the most after-tax spending power out of your assets Through strategies like if you're retired in your 60s and you're delaying social security, this can give you a window to do Roth conversions so that by the time social security begins and then later by the time that your required minimum distributions begin, now starting at 73, uh, you might be able to set yourself up to not have to pay as much taxes on your social security benefits and so forth in a manner that gives you a better by, by front-loading some of your taxes, you can get a better overall financial planning outcome. And and this is the longest chapter in the book, but it really works through all of those issues and then provides a detailed case study. And that case study is also completely redone compared to the first edition of how to implement a, an efficient retirement distribution strategy.
1: No, I think it's great. And from there, we start moving on to uh, beyond, beyond that, beyond <laughs> yourself, you know, uh, you know, legacy planning, other items. You, you want to speak about that chapter a little bit? Yeah,
2: the, the legacy and incapacity planning, really, that chapter has two different parts. The first is getting your finances organized and Uh, being able to explain to others, other family members, other important people in your life, potentially other like the executor of the estate or your uh, with your advanced directives who may have some authority with your financial, like the powers of attorney and so forth. Uh, Getting all your finances organized to make their lives as easy as possible. And then looking at some of the issues related to if there is a potential to pay estate taxes, which currently you have to be pretty wealthy before that becomes an issue, but we never know how the legislation could change in the future. <laughs> but if you are in a position where you may need to pay estate taxes, a basic understanding of how that whole conversation around tax planning for estate taxes works, uh, that, that is an area that becomes much harder to do as a do-it-yourself individual. But trying to provide that basic education and understanding so that you can be informed when you speak to an estate planning attorney or some other professional to incorporate some of those more complicated tax-related estate strategies.
1: And then wait, it, it seems you take a you take a left turn in Albuquerque, right? <laughs> here uh, with with uh, with a next chapter. No, it, it's it's important. It's just it, it's a different. It's different from what you usually write about. That's what I meant. It's it's relevant for the book, and it fits for the book. But it's it's content that people probably don't associate themselves with Wade, you know, writing about. But, you know, Mm -hmm. again, uh, it's well worth it, you know, within the constructs of the book. Uh, It's the non-aspects, the non-financial aspects of retirement planning. What were you trying to accomplish there?
2: Right. So the non-financial aspects of retirement, just having purpose and passion and and meaning in retirement, to some extent, may be more important than the financial aspects. Because at the end of the day, people can make things work from the financial perspective. I mean, they may not have the the lifestyle they're hoping for. But if they haven't addressed having good relationships with friends and family and, and everything outside of the financial picture, that makes retirement much more complicated. And so there's plenty of books on retirement that focus on these non-financial aspects. And I thought it's really important to address that as well. So it is, it's one chapter out of (laughs) the rest of the chapters are about the financial aspects, but looking at the key, the key issues about making sure that you've not overlooked having a good lifestyle beyond just the financial considerations. Uh, uh
1: I would say wait that even though it's one chapter among many each chapter isn't equally weighted right and I, I think this chapter is, is 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 as important as anyone in 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 the whole system because we see this a lot with 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 clients I mean it's one of these existential things but I mean the phrase that you kind of come away with after reading your book is the importance of retiring into something as opposed to retiring from something Uh and so I, you know, I, I think it's key. It, it's, it's a very good read and it's well worth it. And you could make the case it should have been the, the first chapter, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And, and, and that would mean it's, it's a very plausible sort of argument. Uh, and then uh, we have our rinse, repeat chapter. Yeah. What, what's that one yeah, about? Yeah,
2: Chapter 13 on putting it all together tries to help provide checklists and to-do lists and taking everything from earlier in the book. And just now organizing it by theme of age, like what should you do at different eight points when you retire, uh, when you're going to claim Social Security, when you reach 65 and are now eligible for Medicare, working through what to do at each point in time. And then also looking at an annual checklist of, here's a a few things you could be doing each month to make sure you keep your plan on track as you go throughout retirement. And then also looking at another way to summarize the book, Just having a list of potential mistakes people might make as a way of summarizing earlier content in the book as well. So it's really getting things all wrapped up and summarizing the book by converting it into a a clear, precise list of, okay, check these things off. Make sure you've done all this. And if you can check all the boxes from Chapter 13, you're on your way to (laughs) having covered all these important aspects for your retirement plan.
1: You know, wait. After I've heard this, I, I'm going to change my mind on something here, which well within my right. right? <laughs> I think for the advisor, I, I do think it's more of a handbook to a reference guide that they can go back to and maybe not read it from start to finish, because you know they're always dealing with client issues and they want to. You know, not every client is in the same stage, etc. But as as going just to going through this exercise of okay, what are the, what are the chapters about? It just hits home that this is pretty much the order. That someone should sort of implement a retirement income plan. You know, when you're thinking, what do I do now? How do I transition into retirement? How do I put it all together? You know, and I'm and that's what I'm struck with, with with this conversation is just follow these steps. You know, the only one you could sort of quibble with is the and and rightly so is is the one about non financial aspects because you know you, you gotta get you gotta get yourself right you know that kind of thing and that's very very important. But other than that, these are the boxes you need to check. And I would say you should probably check them in this order, you know, for the most part. And and that's very important. I mean, this is not just the episode where we talk about Wade's book. It's almost like the episode where it's also, look, you want to get your retirement income plan right and you want a path. This is that path to, to follow. So I, I think the book serves a great the book is it's almost like a great guide. You know, it's called the Retirement Income Guidebook a for a reason, <laughs> right? But it, it, it really is like an ordinal guide as well in, in terms of, these, you know, stepwise, this is the path you should take, not just a general reference guide. I mean, I, I, I can't help but think that. So, you know, uh, it's great for, for someone to just listen in and see, look, this, these are the boxes to check in it, and in this order as well. Uh, what's one thing in the book that you worked in, that you worked on, I'm sorry, that's new. That that you thought, oh, this is a cool concept. Let me let me let me flesh this out a little bit in the book.
2: Well, we have covered some of those things, but there's a few others too. So I, we mentioned already, like the variable spending strategies was all redone. The case study about yeah. tax planning was uh, completely redone. Yeah. The uh, the content about registered index linked annuities is all new, not appearing in any book in the past. Uh, there's also more discussion around this. So a lot of the healthcare chapter is about Medicare, which becomes relevant at age 65. But early retirees who are using the Affordable Care Act, uh, the the subsidies, uh, this is part of tax planning. <laughs> uh, income affects yeah. subsidies, subsidy eligibility for the Affordable Care Act. And so looking through the mechanics of how that all works, that's another area with new content that hasn't appeared in any past edition either.
1: All right, I like for me i am I'm, I'm interested in the efficient frontier of retirement income because that's a line of research that we're starting to wrap our our hands around and this goes back to even that buffer ETF comment that I, that I made earlier where my head was at I, i'm I'm kind of digging that one just because it's it's something that you know i, I want to sort of unpack personally as well so I, you know I, I think that's kind of cool and something I didn't mention and we should have said it earlier. In the show notes, we're going to have links for because there's always like new tax laws and, and this and that. And so we're going to have links to handouts of the new tables, of a select number of tables that are in there, just as good little cheat sheets for you. And it's so, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the tables from the book, but what it is is it started
2: as my own personal. So updating a 500-page book on an annual basis, I spent a lot of time getting organized. And so basically, I keep track of every number in the book. And and now what these tables are doing, like for Social Security, all these annual numbers that change showing their values in 2023, 2022, 2021. Same for long-term care planning. uh, Same for the Medicare. There's a lot of numbers related to Medicare that change every year. Reverse mortgage lending limits change every year. Of course, with tax planning, all the tax brackets and everything changes every year. And so, for my own benefit, I made all these tables to. I got it. These is what I got to fill out and update in the book. And and yeah, we now will make those available as a, a download for anyone listening to the podcast who just like to see all these numbers that tend to change every year. Their values for the last three years.
1: And we'll put those in the show notes. Uh, anything else, Wade, to take us home here?
2: Well, the, the other things that change in the book, too. So it is fully updated for Secure Act 2.0. That also took a lot of time because oh. there's many small, subtle changes <laughs> that you have to be very careful. And so I've done that, gone through the whole book, made all those updates for the Secure Act 2.0. And other kind of legislative change, changes that happened, the Medicare planning tool. Uh, is a lot better, especially when you're looking at Medicare supplements since the first edition came out, so I updated that. There's a new RMD table in 2022, so the the new edition has the new tables related to required minimum distributions. More discussion around the SECURE Act 1.0 and the the 10-year rule for inherited IRAs. And also there's new rules related to if you first enroll in Medicare during the general enrollment period, you don't have to wait until July first anymore for coverage to start. It starts on the first day of the following month, and so those are the also the kind of policy or legislative changes that have been addressed in the book as well. And and that that covers <laughs> what I was hoping to get out of the conversation today.
1: So I, I you know, I mean, I, I know you were humble about it at the beginning, but I, I think, look, it does merit. I mean, if you're you're going to the first edition book early and often and you're using it, you know, a lot, I I think it merits, you know, picking up the second edition. Uh, (laughs) If it's one of these things that you look at it once a year, yeah, maybe not. But uh, if you want to stay current, specifically because of the Secure 2.0 Act, it it just makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, if you're uh, still frequently referring to the retirement planning guidebook. That is a case where you might like to go ahead and, and upgrade to the new edition. But but right just I don't want to suggest that every single person who has the first it. edition needs to run out and get the second edition. It's, it depends how frequently you uh, are using that resource and and all that. Yeah.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, wave five. <laughs> okay. All right, wait, man. It's yeah. I mean, look, fifty minutes just describing the book. One minute for every page. No, 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 that wouldn't be right. <laughs> it's five hundred pages. Do the, what's five hundred divided by ten? Ten seconds for every page. All right, all right, everyone. Uh, no, it's not either because it's sixty seconds. But I'm like, I can't do the math in my head that quickly. What is it? Six? I don't. I don't even want to bother. All right.
2: Uh, Anything else? Well, no. i haven't. so recently it seemed like this podcast was becoming invest with style, and uh, we will have another episode with Bob <laughs> French on the investments. But then we'll pause on that. We'll bring Bob back again in the future to dig into some other investment topics. But we we'll get back onto that retire with style track as well. And in the not next week, but in the week after that, we'll we're still working out what direction we're going to go. But we'll. Dig into a retirement topic again very soon on the
1: yeah, and it's it's one page every six seconds. Wait, that, that's what the fifty-minute right mark now. was telling us. There we go. Uh, no, no, it's true. Uh, Where we we wanted to get the investment side done because we were you know we were talking about things and they always underlie the investments and I don't know we always get the sense that you know, we're not talking enough about, you know, within retirement income, a lot of consumers always wondering about investments, investments, investments. So we wanted to start laying down the groundwork on that. But if if we kind of took it from soup to nuts, we'd be like 30 weeks just talking about investments. And so we give it a nice push. We'll end it with a, actually a pretty, pretty cool guest the week after this podcast comes out. And we'll have Bob on and again, a very special guest. And then we'll We'll continue another arc on a retirement income topic, and we'll, we'll go from there. And we'll we'll go back to the investments at some point. I mean, we spent time telling you what doesn't work. We're going to get into what does work in a very detailed manner. But first, we want to sort of have a little break and, and talk about retirement income.
2: Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining, and we'll catch you again next week on Retire With Style.
1: All right, everyone. Bye now.
0: Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.